Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? Ridiculous, Morgan. Bye bye. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Kahn. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Bowl Season on the Scoop and Score podcast. Feels like uh, we need to chat here for just a little bit. Uh, last week we we had the championship weekend preview, and aside from a few live updates, we we pretty much kept the blinders on to what was happening around the college football landscape. And we should probably just stop and pick up pieces and see where we are. So here are the most important things you need to know in no particular order. Alabama and Cincinnati are playing in the Cotton Bowl in one semifinal. Michigan and Georgia are playing in the Orange Bowl in the other semifinal. Lincoln Riley is now the head coach at USC. Brent Venables is now the head coach at Oklahoma, except for while Bob Stoops is the head coach during the month of December. Brian Kelly is now the head coach of LSU. Marcus Freeman is now the head coach at Notre Dame. Mario Cristobal is now the head coach in Miami. And the Utah State Aggies are the Mountain West Conference champions. Other things also happened, but those are the main ones. Let's start with the coaching carousel before talking a little bit about the playoffs. I don't want to sound like a nerd, but it seems like the money kind of got out of hand during this cycle. It's been three years since Jimbo Fisher signed his 10-year, $75 million deal with Texas A&M. And that has stood out for all that time as the O-man contract that people would sort of call upon when talking about what sort of the biggest contracts were. And forget let's forget what Saban makes, because A, he's been in the same place for a long time, so it's not like he was pulled away by some huge number, and B, he's underpaid no matter what he makes. But it's no secret that these top college football programs have athletic departments with nearly unlimited resources, uh, but we hadn't seen them go this crazy on the coaches before. It seemed to start with Mel Tucker and James Franklin with the in-season extensions. Mel Tucker, I sort of understand the idea of wanting to invest in a guy with potential early, although we've seen that bite teams before. And there were also rumors that LSU was interested, so they wanted to do what they could to lock him up. The James Franklin one I truly don't understand. I don't think anyone else wanted him. Um, so that one, that one was a bit of a surprise, to say the least. But once those numbers were out there, the bar had been set for the more established guys, such as Riley, Kelly, and arguably, in some cases, Cristobal. So when people are talking about how this is the craziest coaching swap year ever, and there were all these shocking changes, that's going to happen when we're at this level of crazy money. Four to five million dollars a year is a ton of money. I'm not pretending that it's not, but ten million dollars is absolutely different. So, you know, to hear people say, what's a few extra million? We're not talking about the difference between 310 and 320 million dollars on, say, a baseball player's contract. These are big numbers going from four or five million dollars to ten million dollars, and they're going to result in big time changes, and that's what we got. In terms of how things are going, uh, people talk about winning the press conference. I think we can put Notre Dame and Miami into the winner's column and USC and LSU into the loser's column. Uh, Freeman and Cristobal both seem to speak very genuinely in ways that made you think the fit was right. Brian Kelly used a fake accent that made me think he was maybe going to 
end his speech with uh, talking about uh, two, two guys on a road trip playing 20 questions, and Lincoln Riley was forced onto what resembled an 80s game show set. But obviously, these last few weeks will be completely forgotten as all of these coaches start the 2022 season. It's not about who wins the press conference. That can give you an idea of how things might go, but make no mistake about it, wins and losses are the only thing that matters and will be the only thing that matters in, say, nine months when, uh, when this new season is upon us. Riley will no doubt turn things around at USC very quickly. He recruited Southern California very heavily at Oklahoma, and that'll just be an easier sell now. Riley seems tend to highlight quarterbacks and receivers, and those are two plentiful resources in the L.A. area. He'll have that offense loaded very quickly. Uh, will be interesting to see if the defense can get elevated as well. Riley brought defensive coordinator Alex Grinch with him, and he's thought of as one of the better DCs in college football, although I remained pretty skeptical about the lack of progress at Oklahoma throughout the last couple of seasons. In terms of what Riley left behind, longtime Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables takes over there. Incredible defensive mind. He's, he's turned down a lot of head coaching opportunities waiting for the right job. And apparently he's found that right job. It's definitely going to be a different-looking Oklahoma team in years to come. Will be interesting to see how Venables goes about running his own program and who he gets to run the offense. I think there's some definite risk with that hire, and it's going to be a, a pretty significant change in the near term. Miami hit a home run. Don't think there's any other way to say it. Uh, now, I do preface this by saying that I think it's a home run the same way that Jim Harbaugh was a home run at Michigan and Scott Frost was a home run at Nebraska, so actual results may vary. Now, Cristobal is probably somewhere between Harbaugh and Frost in terms of actual success at the time of the hire, but it's a great fit. He's expected to build the right culture there, which is what everyone has talked about lacking essentially since Larry Coker took over. It's about finding that magic that lasted from the mid-80s to the early 2000s, about keeping local talent home, about embracing alums. We've heard that this would all happen before. But this seems like the most, most natural fit. Listener and Miami alum Mikey shares these sentiments and, and takes it a step further, suggesting that if Cristobal can't win at Miami, no one can. Again, this sounds an awful lot like what we heard when Har Harbaugh was hired at Michigan. Will be interesting to see what kind of staff Cristobal puts together. Uh, the, the Carolina Panthers recently fired their offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. Uh, got to imagine, you know, he, he was believed by many to be the architect of that 2019 LSU offense. I think he's going to have a lot of suitors. Uh, I don't know about in the NFL, but certainly a lot in college. Um, so I, I, I imagine Miami's going to go after him. I imagine that his former employer, LSU, uh, will also likely make a call as Brian Kelly will be looking for an offensive coordinator as well. And, and that brings us to the situation at LSU. Brian Kelly is a great coach that has won everywhere he's been. He's a program builder more so than a quick fix guy. His first two seasons at ND were rough. His third was a miracle. And his fourth through seventh varied from great to dreadful. Granted, one of those seasons was torpedoed by factors that won't be an issue at LSU. But we're still talking about seven seasons before Kelly really kicked Notre Dame into its current gear over the last five years. They won't give him seven years at LSU if he doesn't start winning quickly. I think it's fair to say that Kelly made some miscalculations when he left, as he expected a lot of his staff from Notre Dame to come with him, and almost no one did. 
How quickly he can adapt and put together the right coaching staff will be critical, especially from a recruiting standpoint. Going to be very, very interesting to see how that one plays out. And of course, there's Notre Dame. This may be the optimism of an off-season talking and the honeymoon period of a, of a new coaching hire, but I am absolutely thrilled. Based on the various coaching moves, if Brian Kelly had stayed, I still don't see any scenario where Marcus Freeman would have remained at Notre Dame as its defensive coordinator in 2022. Losing Freeman likely would have torpedoed the 2022 and 2023 recruiting classes at a minimum. And ultimately, Notre Dame would have missed an opportunity to hire a rising star head coach. Now, it's entirely possible that Freeman doesn't work out as a head coach, but this is exactly the kind of swing you need to take. He's someone that everyone seems to like, relates well to his players, and most importantly, will work his tail off recruiting. That's the most tangible thing you can say about what makes a good college football coach. How hard will they work recruiting? We know he's an A-plus in that category. The rest is wait and see. The hire also helped keep almost the entire staff together, which is critical what the, given what this staff has built together. I expect Tommy Reese is going to be a head coach somewhere sooner rather than later, but having him for at least a few years allows Freeman to lay the foundation of what his offense will continue to look like before having to potentially look for a replacement in the future. Will Notre Dame win as many games under Freeman as they did under Brian Kelly? That idea seems far-fetched, but I'm confident Notre Dame will have better players on the roster and will be a cooler brand that high school kids want to play for. And gosh, he is just so handsome. Shall we move on to the playoff? Let's move on to the playoff. After Baylor knocked off Oklahoma State, Alabama beat Georgia, and Cincinnati and Michigan each won, there was no real drama heading into the selection show. I suppose an argument could have been made to drop Georgia all the way to four, but that wasn't going to happen. No one deserved to be in that got left out. Notre Dame could have been the one, two, or three seed simply by beating Cincinnati at home. Baylor lost two games, including to a bad TCU team. So no one should have a gripe. And we also have, I'd say, the most up-in-the-air playoff we've had in a very long time. We said in the preseason preview that this year was wide open. When you think about losing Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, losing Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts, losing Justin Fields, losing the entirety of the Alabama offense and almost the entirety of the Notre Dame offensive line, every team had weaknesses this year, and it was always going to come down to who improved the most throughout the season and who stepped up to take it. I don't think Cincinnati is going to beat Alabama, but I wouldn't be truly shocked if any of these four teams won the national championship. And the difference is in the three previous seasons, the national, championship, the national champion has been a historically great team. 2018 with Lawrence Etienne, those receivers in that front seven. 2019 and 2020 Alabama with two of the best college football offenses of all time with solid defenses to go with them. Those were three historically great teams and none of these four come close to matching up there. Alabama has a shaky offensive line and is down to one playmaker receiver. Cincinnati is strong throughout the starting 22, but obviously lacks depth as well as some of the high-end talent that these other powers have, and that usually shows up in these playoff games. Georgia seemed to have a truly dominant defense, but looking back after they got lit up by Alabama, maybe they just hadn't played any good offenses? And the Bulldog offense is solid, 
but certainly somewhat limited by Stetson Bennett's ceiling. Michigan seems like a fairly complete team. Uh, the offense has been just okay, but clearly improving throughout the year. But will their athletes be exposed by Georgia the way that we've seen in some of these Big Ten SEC matchups of the past? I don't expect them to, but it's certainly the primary question for Michigan heading into that game. My expectation for the Cotton Bowl is that Cincinnati hangs around a little longer than some of Alabama's other opponents in playoff games have. They have really great quarterbacks, including Sauce Gardner, that can make life on Jamison Williams very difficult. They also have Alec Pierce on offense, who is going to be a matchup problem for anyone on the outside. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the Bearcats be competitive for two, two and a half quarters. But ultimately, I just think Alabama does what they do. After last week, I think the whole world is done underestimating Nick Saban for as long as he decides to keep doing this. So I'll take Alabama to maybe pull away late, but I certainly expect there to be some game pressure in the second half of that one. As for the Orange Bowl, this one should be really close. Georgia is going to make it very hard for Michigan to run the ball. You know, think about this. Michigan's two biggest games this year against Ohio State and Michigan State, they were playing against a defense that was not very good in Ohio State and truly awful in Michigan State. Georgia is going to force the passing game to beat them. I've been a Cade McNamara fan going back to last season, and I think he can handle it. The question is, can Michigan get creative enough on offense to get players open down the field? Because it's going to be difficult to sustain long drives against this Georgia team. Offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis has certainly shown that he has this offense moving in the right direction. Although I question if maybe he showed a little too much in that Big Ten championship game against Iowa in a game that they really didn't need it. I mean, save that halfback pass for the playoff, Josh. But on the other side, Georgia just doesn't have much to scare you with their offense. And we know Michigan has among the best pass rushing tandem in the country with Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. So how is Georgia going to move the ball? Ultimately, I think I just have to lean on what I've seen in the past, and that's in these types of games. Teams like Alabama, Clemson, Georgia tend to beat teams like Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and Michigan. Notice I left out Ohio State there. They're sort of the, the non-Southeast team that has built the roster in recent years. Does this Michigan roster have 2020 Ohio State-level talent? If they do, they'll likely win this game but I just don't believe Michigan has built its roster to that level through recruiting over the last three to four years. And ultimately, I think Georgia just shows they have a few more athletes on the field and they're able to win a very close game. So I'll take an SEC championship game and 2017 national championship rematch of Alabama and Georgia playing for the national title for now. And we'll see how things go here in the month of December. This will not be the final podcast of the year. I'm hoping to have one more interview coming your way either later this month or in early January. I'll also be doing at least one more pod leading up to the national championship game. So this is not it. Sorry that this is a short one. I just, so many things happened. We, I, I, could, have been, I could have been talking for hours just about what was going on with the band and Lincoln Riley in that, in that very, very strange video. But uh, I, will, I will leave it at that. I will, I will keep it brief. With that, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, 
Talk to y'all soon. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.